0: Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Hey, I know this isn't something you want to think about, but this is going somewhere good, so work with me. Think of a moment when you let Jesus down big time. My mind goes to something immediately. When I was around 16, I found myself in this unplanned, spontaneous worship and prayer time in a living room in St. Paul, Minnesota. That night, I experienced the power and love of the Holy Spirit in a way I had never experienced before, just filling me up with the love of Jesus. It wasn't because I was so spiritual. It was quite the opposite. I didn't deserve it at all because the next morning I let Jesus down. I sinned in a way that I still clearly remember. I sinned big time. Jesus had given me such a gift and I trampled on it. My failure makes me think of Peter's failure. He had denied Jesus three times, as you know, the night before Jesus was crucified. He had said earlier that same night, Jesus, I'll die for you. But when the test came, he said, I don't know that guy. I don't know him at all. And he said it with curses. When Jesus rises from the dead, he tells the women who see him, go tell the disciples and Peter that I have risen. I love that. He wants Peter to know that he hasn't given up on him. He still believes in Peter. And then when Peter has gone back to fishing after the resurrection, Jesus shows up on the shoreline and John says, who's in the boat with Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps in the water and swims toward Jesus. Then there's this hard conversation between Jesus and Peter. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Like the three times he denied Jesus. I'm sure in those moments, Peter felt the deep shame of having denied Jesus. But Jesus is doing heart surgery with Peter, and he does the same with us. It seems to me that you can't say, I love you, Jesus, unless you believe he loves you. And so what produces heart-pounding love for Jesus? I think it's experiencing Jesus' embrace when we least deserve it. That's when love for Jesus flows freely. So here's what I'm thinking. Let me know what you think. Jesus was really asking Peter, do you believe that I love you? Peter knew Jesus had loved him before his great failure, but now that he had failed, did he still believe it? I think maybe he believed he deserved, you know, Jesus' love before that. He was he was pretty full of himself, but after his failure, you know, how could Jesus love me? Because I don't deserve it. But that's the point. We don't deserve Jesus' love. And so in Jesus' probing question, Peter has to face his greatest failure and decide to take the leap to believe if Jesus still loves him. It wasn't a perfect yes Peter gave. It was through a lot of pain. But he did say, Yes, Lord, I do love you. Because I believe you still love me. And that was his first step toward healing. And as I look back on how I let Jesus down as a teenager and how I've let him down so many other times, but as a teenager, after being filled up with the Holy Spirit in such an amazing way, my healing began when I chose to believe that Jesus still loved me. And it's the same for you. You may have let Jesus down, even in a train wreck kind of way, but he asks you right now, do you still love me? Because he still loves you.
1: Here's what blows my mind about this. Because God is God and he's not limited by time. We're so linear. You know, there was yesterday, then today, then tomorrow. But, you know, God is not limited by time in that way. He knew that you were going to blow it before he poured out his spirit on you on that night, Perry. Yeah. And he did it anyway.
0: It's all grace.
1: And that's just so beautiful. I just love that. Like, he knows that I'm not going to walk this thing out perfectly. He knows I'm actually going to hurt his heart with my choices and with my words. And he's willing to, to give lavishly love me anyway. And that exists like outside of my performance. So yeah, it's just a a beautiful invitation to, to lean into God's love for us and to recognize that it's not connected to how we do. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's the kind of love that transforms us. It's the only way to be changed, to be really changed when we experience the love of Jesus when we don't deserve it. And anytime we experience his love, we don't deserve it, even if we are doing pretty well. If you've trampled on Jesus' grace, if you've made a mess of your life because of wrong choices, Jesus is standing in front of you, and he's saying, do you still love me? Jesus wouldn't ask you that question if he wasn't still crazy in love with you. He wouldn't have gone to the cross if he still wasn't crazy in love with you. Shauna is in Middleville. Couldn't make it in. Too much snow, but through the technology we whipped up this morning, she's able to talk with us. (laughs)
1: And I got a little challenge for you this morning. I got a question for you to just consider. What are you doing with what you have? It's easy to think, you know, what we would do if we had, I don't know, fill in the blank, like, oh man, if I had a million dollars, there's so much that I would do for the Lord. Or if I just had someone to do it with. Like if God brought a spouse into my life, I would do just incredible things for the kingdom of God. Or if I were more healthy, if I had more physical strength, you know, we just got these ideas of grandeur of what would be if we had what we're lacking. And I think we can feel limited in what we can do for God because we don't have Maybe the influence that we think we need or the money that we think we need, or we've got some physical limitations and they feel like shackles to us. And we want to be free because we really do want to make a big difference for God. But when I read the Bible, here's what I find. Like over and over again, I read stories of people who lacked and they had little and God used them anyway. I think about how, you know, Moses felt held back because he wasn't really good with words. But God used him as his mouthpiece to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Mary, you know, Jesus' mom had no parenting experience. She wasn't even married yet. And God used her to carry and raise the Savior of the world. I mean, that's just incredible. And when Jesus was looking to put together a team of people to emulate his words and then to live out his ways after he was gone, he didn't go to, you know, the most likely to succeed in the yearbook. He chose like these ordinary, like most unlikely people, even despised, dirty, uneducated individuals. And they all could have said, God, I don't have it. But if, you know, you give me what I lack, if you make me eloquent or if you make me experienced or, you know, you provide for me the education and give me some great influence, you know, if I had 50,000 followers on social media, you know, and I could publish a book and I could get a degree, well, then I would do incredible things for you. But the question with God has never been, what would you do if, (laughs) but what are you doing now? Like with what you already have.
0: Shauna, that makes me think of Moses when God says to Moses, you know, take up your staff. He's just got this, this staff. It's a regular staff, but God turns it into a snake that can show his signs and his wonders. You know, it's just this big, you know, tall piece of wood, but God does something with it.
1: Yeah. Or even like the little guy who had just his lunch, he just brought some fish and some bread. He wasn't planning on to feed, feeding thousands, thousands of people, but Jesus took what the boy had multiplied it and ends up, you know, doing this miracle. Luke 16, 10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So the real question isn't, you know, what will you do when you have what you don't have? Or, you know, what are you doing? I think the real question is, what are you doing with what you do have? When Jesus was walking the earth one day, he sat down, you know, opposite the place where the offerings were being put, and he just kind of watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And there were a lot of rich people who threw large amounts of money in there. But there was a poor widow and she came and she just put in two very small copper coins and they were only worth just a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus points out this widow and he says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Are you willing to give God what you do have? Do you believe that God can do anything with Anyone, even you, even me. And will you trust him to do beautiful things through you? Not someday, but like now, today, in the middle of a snowstorm. Lord, simple as it may be, use what I have. Use me.
0: Hey, I don't know about you, but if Jesus had not come looking for me, if he hadn't come after me, I'd still be where I was. I would have never been found. And that's the same for singer-songwriter Zach Williams.
2: I was getting ready to leave for Europe in, in 2012, and my wife kind of came to me and she said, you know, if you can't make some changes you know, for your family, we're not going to stick around basically and what you kill yourself. I knew better. You know, I was raised. Um, I was raised in church. I was raised... To put my faith in Jesus um, my parents really planted that seed at or you know an early age for me had it not been for for their walk and their relationship and just the way I saw them live their life I wouldn't have known that there was a a god to come running back to or a God that loved me or could forgive me and so I realized you know for the last 33 years I had I had missed it you know um, I, I'd made it harder than it was you know and when I started thinking about you know this is it's not a it's not a fancy prayer it's not you know it's not walking to the front every sunday like i thought i had to do it's 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 literally a heart change it's you just asking god to come live in your heart and in return he just wants your heart back i knew that i needed to make some serious changes for myself personally for my family for my you know for just everything and so i was i was kind of like all right if you're god if you're who you say you are then if you prove it i'm done with all this two weeks into that tour we were in spain driving across spain one day about eight hours and and the guy driving our bus starts scanning radio stations and stops on redeemed by big daddy weave of you know of all places in spain and and i was like well this is no coincidence and so after years of you know running from maybe a calling or maybe just years of running and so uh, i called my wife and told her i said hey i'm coming home i'm gonna cancel my shows and Started going to church, and June 10th of 2012, gave my life to the Lord. First John 4:18 said, "There's no fear in love; perfect love casts out all fear." And I just remember thinking, "Man, if I've been perfected in God's love, like what am I afraid of? You know, if anything, the devil should be scared of me."
1: morning, my friend. So I'm reading this book right now. It's called God Smuggler. And my husband was reading it. He could not put this book down. So he's like, you have to read this. And I don't know why. The, like the little rebellious, you know, Shauna inside is like, I'm not going to read a book that you tell me I have to read. Anyway, I picked it up and I started reading it. And I also cannot put it down. It's about a boy who dreamed of being a spy and having this life of, of adventure. And, um, he did head off on adventure, you know, when he got to be a young man and he went off to war and I mean, he had some pretty adventurous experiences, but he still felt empty. He still felt like it wasn't satisfying his soul. He ends up meeting Jesus, totally gives his life to Jesus and God sends him on this incredible adventure as a missionary. And it's literally like trusting God day by day for his provisions and moment by moment, you know, um, stepping across the Iron Curtain and bringing Bibles in there and just like all these incredible things. And you just kind of sit at the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen and how God's going to pull them through. It's awesome. But as part of the story, he talks about, well, his first language is Dutch because he's from Amsterdam, from Holland. And um, he heads off on these adventures and he learns different languages along the way. He ends up learning to speak German and some other language. I can't remember what it is, but his adventures also take him to places where he doesn't speak the language at all. And there's just a huge language barrier. And he kind of will start in by, you know, speaking English and see if anybody can relate to him or can understand him. And no, then he goes to Dutch. No, no, no. German. No. (laughs) So he's on an adventure one day and He's staying at this hotel and as he's leaving the hotel the, the doorman asks him, you know, where he's going and what he's gonna be doing. And he tells them the group that he's heading to, and the doorman says, But they don't speak any of the languages that you speak. How are you gonna communicate with them? And brother Andrew, that's the missionary that this book is all about, he says, Well, us Christians have our own language. It's called agape.
0: This reminds me, Shauna, of something almost exact. I was I had a chance, I had the honor the Lord, you know, sent me to the mountains of Northern Thailand about 20 years ago. And I was, I was there with a group and there's a a group of of people called the Shan people group. And uh, there's some believers among them. At any rate, I, I brought my guitar and Some of them, you know, were worship leaders and singers. So I worked together with them. But one night we had this big, you know, gathering in the, in the town square, the village square. And I mean, the people literally just, just flocked to this place. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, I was on the stage and there were hundreds of people out there. I wasn't the only one doing things. There were you know, people speaking in their language, but I sang my songs in English and I could just feel the love of Jesus pouring through me. The Holy Spirit just pouring through me, you know, as he does. And they didn't understand my words, but I could just feel this love that was happening between us. And and when I got done and I sat down at the back of the stage, a couple of young, you know, Shan people in the Northern mountains of Thailand, a couple of young guys came up and they just, they looked at me with just love in their eyes, it wasn't like, Oh, we're infatuated by this guy, but they had felt a love. And, and I think even if they didn't know it, they were being drawn to it. So yeah, agape is the language that that's, that works everywhere.
1: It is. And you know, my, my daughter Eden is in Australia right now, and she's working as a chaplain in um, an elementary school. And there's a lot of refugee children and there's a lot of Kurdish children that are there from Afghanistan and they don't speak English. And they the first week of school in the school system, the kindergartners in particular were just really struggling with this adjustment to be put in this English speaking school where they don't know anybody in this foreign country. And Eden's job was to help them to settle in. So there was one student in particular that was just really upset. And Eden got down on her knees at her level and she's speaking to this little Kurdish girl, this little refugee, and, you know, comforting her and soothing her. And another teacher had walked by and she said, She doesn't understand your language. And Eden's response was, she may not understand the language i'm speaking but she can tell the tone of my voice she can tell the look on my face she can tell that i'm caring for her and that i'm loving her so you know agape this this love that we share with one another because we have the love of jesus inside of us it's a language all its own if you've experienced this this um language of love that that goes beyond English goes beyond like speaking the same language from one Christian brother to another. Oh my goodness, we'd love to hear your story this morning. 800-968-8930, 800-968-8930. And as you go today, just know that you speak love.
0: You have a God who bleeds out for you because he loves you. No one in their wildest imagination could come up with a God like this. All the other gods conjured up since the beginning of time are just projections of the human imagination. All the gods of the earth are idols, but our God is the living God who bleeds. And we get a powerful hint of this early in the story of the Bible. Abraham has followed the Lord as far as he can see, and he's in the land of Canaan that God has promised to give him but it's not yet his he's there with his family and with his nephew lot and his family tragically lot and his family and possessions are captured and taken away by an evil king but when Abraham hears about this he goes after his nephew he has this righteous righteous anger you know this righteous sense of I'm going to rescue my nephew and his family And he rescues Lot and his family and all his possessions from this dark Lord. Right after the rescue, Abraham comes to Jerusalem and he meets this priest king named Melchizedek. Melchizedek blesses Abraham in the name of the living God. And then Abraham honors this priest king by giving him a tenth of everything he's recovered from this battle. Remember, God has already given the promise to Abraham that the whole world will be blessed through him. Abraham is the great, 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 and it goes on, grandfather of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is Abraham, this exalted guy in God's story, honoring Melchizedek. Melchizedek should be honoring Abraham, but it's the other way around. Who is this guy? And the New Testament tells us in Hebrews 7, 3. Here it is. We are not told Melchizedek had a father or mother or ancestors or beginning or end. He is like the Son of God and will be a priest forever. This was, as some scholars say, Jesus himself. And if that's not amazing enough, here's the other part of all this. And my friend Rod Van Solkema pointed this out to me. When Melchizedek first comes out to meet Abraham, he brings bread and wine, the broken body and poured out blood of Messiah, bread and wine. Melchizedek knows that God has promised to bless the whole world through Abraham. And he's giving Abraham a hint as to how he'll do it through his broken body and poured out blood. And so the so what of all this? Here's where it comes home to you and me. God had you in mind from eternity. He always knew he would have to bleed out for you to bring you to him. And he put little hints, even in the ancient parts of the story, to show you and me that he's always had his eye on us and to show us just how far he would need to go to bring us home.
2: Thanks so much for listening. Questions or
0: comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.